there's many things that, uh, uh, as we go through life, that people talk about and I talk about, things that I know and things that are true in my life. And, uh, and there's this sense of confidence that comes from different elements of one's life. Um, and as, as we talk about those things that give us confidence, the question that can come up uh, would be, yeah, that, that may be true, but are you saved? Are you saved? You know, I'm healthy. My numbers are down. My blood sugar is good. I'm cancer free. I can run a marathon. I eat organic. I monitor EMFs in my home. I'm a prepper. I have food stored for two years. I'm safe and secure. But am I saved? I'm wealthy. I have money in the bank. I have, it's, that money in the bank is F-D-I-C, insured. <laughs> Whatever that means. I, I know what it means, but does it really mean what? Anything. Uh, F-D-I-N-C. I have a 401k uh, with all the great stocks of the United States. I have a great job, stable income. My house is paid off. I have newer cars that run. I have health care that's paid for. Yeah, but are you saved? I'm educated. I know stuff. I went to this special school. I got this degree. I studied in this field under this expert. I got a diploma. I got a certification. I've gotten accolades in my field. Yeah, but... Are you saved? I'm a great thinker. I watch the news. I watch alternative news. I have different ways and people that I go to. I'm not part of the sheep of this world. I'm awoken to the affairs of the day. I know what's going on. Yeah, but but are you saved? I, I give you this dramatic intro of distinctions and this important question because it is. Because who cares? Who cares if we have all these things, but we are not saved? And this is the theme. Uh, this is the, the crux and the, the pointer that Paul is getting to in this great passage that many of us know well. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, um, and I'd like to read to you from the beginning, actually, actually not from the beginning, I want to start at verse 5 and read to you down through verse 13. This is what God's word says. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, uh, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Uh, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess... 
with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of having it and having it in our language and having great access to it. God, I ask now uh, that as your spirit inspired uh, these words for us, that he would be our teacher, teacher that we would, we would know and that you would um, draw hearts to yourself, to the gospel that saves God, may we be settled in our soul today because of the reality, the truth of your word. Um, As the song goes, may it be true for us that we know that you love us because the Bible tells us so. God, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The guys were asking me if this this is all the scripture that I was going to use today. And as we were singing... I was reminded of Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, We won't have it up on the screen, but um, you know it, right? You know it. You could stand up and quote it. Even Linus knows it. Okay? I'll I'll turn to it. You don't have to, but you'll know it. You'll know it when I get there. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And for context, it's the shepherd part, right? We're going to get to that. We're going to hear about that in the weeks to come. Uh, both just all, you know, we got all kinds of things, good things going on, but it says this. Um, the angels spoke to the shepherds and said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. And who is that Savior? Who is Christ the Lord? Uh, that's who we're talking about. That's who we're celebrating. That's. Uh, what we're talking about. And as we have been in our study of the book of Romans, uh, I usually take a break in the month of December uh, to focus in on prophecy and the story of the birth of Christ. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to stop because I've come to this great passage that uh, uses this, this idea, this word, saved over and over again. And just to know that in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was born, the, the big angelic announcement was that he's here. He's here in the city of David. And, and it's not just a baby. I think so often we get excited about babies. And we get excited about babies here. Uh, you know, you, you probably wouldn't believe this, but Ron and Angie Nickel our great-grandparents now, today, this very day. Not in the city of David, but I was, anyways, it's awesome. I knew they were great-grandparents, but now they're really like the title great-grandparents, okay? Um, but, but we get excited, but it's not just another baby. The baby was the Savior, the Savior, uh, the one that they'd been waiting for, Christ the Lord. 
And so as we look at this passage this morning, I just want to tell you, this is a passage about salvation. I know Paul's been talking about that in the book of Romans for us and to us and God's inspiration through him. Uh, But we're going to hammer it hard today and hopefully this will be clarifying for all of us what it is to be saved. I guess before I I go on any further, um, you you know, why do you need to be saved? Why? Um, I I think so often uh, we wonder, you know, saved from what? Saved from what? I want to tell you there there are quite a few dominoes that fall pretty quickly when it comes to this issue of why must we be saved? And the, the, the short answer is because of our sin, because we're sinners. And but quickly we could say, well, you know, I might be a sinner, but so is everybody in my family. I come from a long line of sinners. In fact, I come up from a long line of sinners, but I live in, there's a lot of sinners in Tehachapi. In fact, we have a prison that marks, really is a, is a visual that sinful people do awful things. And it, it marks that men are sinners and people in Tehachapi are sinners. And so you could, you could just say, well, it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. As you go through the book of Romans, you realize that God is all about holiness and righteousness. That we are supposed to be as people, as followers, and in so being as followers, if we are to be as followers, we need to be righteous, right with him, right in his eyes. Not right in everybody else's eyes, but right in his eyes. And so brings the problem, and so there's sin, which brings about guilt, which, which is legitimate, and shame that would come to one's life because of what they've done. And what they've done in the eyes of a holy God. And because of him being holy, uh, there's judgment that is to come. And the payment of sin, the just, the justice that comes. And so um, these are just some of the things, the reasons we must be saved. Which brings us to our passage this morning. And I would just start out, works of righteousness that don't work. Okay. And it's not that righteous. I'll explain. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. And as you hear that, you want to say, oh, he's talking about a specific righteousness that's connected to the law. Moses' law. The law of the Old Testament. Uh, Some would, you know, it can be small in the sense of the Ten Commandments. But also, uh, as you see, there are other laws and even other laws beyond the Bible that people tried to um, have this be the standard and this is what I'm going to do. And this passage really can be taken two ways and both of the meanings kind of point to the same thing. But I want to share with you both of them and then tell you where I have landed um, the right interpretation. Because it's mine. Uh, No, I just agreed with other people. Um, So anyways... Uh, For Moses writes about a righteousness that is based on the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law, Moses' law, that a person who does the commandments, most likely talking about the ten, shall live by them. And it's the idea that uh, some would say this. Some would say this. Well, um, that Old Testament saints, uh, in the Old Testament, there there were people, in fact, even in the book of um, Romans, it speaks of Abraham. Uh, do you remember what it says about Abraham? 
uh, you know, he believed God, he had faith, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, right? He followed after God, it was reckoned to him on righteousness. And so some would go quickly to say, well, uh, it, it's talking about the idea of living by the law, living by the law, and doing what God wants you to do to earn your salvation like the uh, Old Testament did. And I want to tell you, if you think that they were earning their salvation in the Old Testament, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. Uh, but what went on in the Old Testament is this, that they believed what they knew about God. They trusted in him for the future. And they trusted, depending on where they were, in the Messiah that was to come, God's answers for the future and God counted that as righteous to them. And I want to tell you this. In the Old Testament, um, I think sometimes we want to make a distinction between law and grace. But in the Old Testament, if anybody followed after God in the Old Testament, it was based on his grace. They were not good enough in the Old Testament. They are not good enough in the New Testament. And they aren't good enough in 2022 to earn their salvation, okay? So that idea, some would say, was the Old Testament type faith that he's pointing to, that they would live by it. I don't believe that. What I believe is talking about in verse 5 is that the one who thinks he's going to uh, have a righteousness based on the law needs to abide by the commandments by all of them all of the time. And how's that work? You know, I'm a good person. When people say they're a good person, they're saying, I was a good person one day at one moment in time. That's what they're saying. They're not saying they're always good. They're not saying they're always obedient. Uh, but in this first passage, I believe he's, he's uh, giving uh, a way that you think you can become righteous one way and then another way. And the first way is one that I believe is impossible is that we can say we're going to live and, and do the commandments, but if we say that, you need to live by all of them, all of the time, to have perfect righteousness. And so I see verse 5 as being a righteousness that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And either way, uh, I want to tell you that the point of verse 5 is that uh, we cannot attain righteousness on our own, uh, we need his grace, whether it be an Old Testament type grace or uh, this idea that we need his grace today. So he points to Moses in the Old Testament and he says, there's a righteousness that comes from the law. We can't do it on our own. We need his help. Second, uh, righteousness. And I just say a righteousness that does work. Verse six says this. And I, this is where I think he's contrasting. He's saying, I showed you, a, I mentioned to you a Moses-type righteousness that doesn't work. But verse 6 says this, But the righteousness based on faith, righteousness based on faith. What was the other one based on? Law. Law or works. Yeah. Law. Righteousness based on the law. But now he says, in verse 6, righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or, or who will descend into the abyss that would bring Christ up from the dead, okay? This is a very, uh, you know, confusing and maybe, whoa, what is he talking about? Well, 
He's talking about a different kind of righteousness that's based on faith. And he points back to Deuteronomy, has a, a few passages, and he just shows us a little bit, both on two different ends. He says, who will ascend into the heavens and who will descend into the abyss? Who, who will go up and go down? And this idea here is this. It's kind of like a superman or superwoman. That they can go and be and go to Christ. That they can be... That's good sound. That's a good sound. I'd much rather have babies crying than old people grouching. You know, uh, myself included. Myself included. I wasn't talking about any of you. Some of you got offended right away. Thought I was talking about you. Be wary when you're convicted in church about things, you know. So, Lord's working. Uh, Anyways, ascend, descend, okay? And it's this idea of a a superman or superwoman that they can go and do what needs to be done. I can go and be with Christ like like Superman. I I can go and be with him in the heavens or, or I can reach down as he went into the grave or into the abyss. I can reach down. Uh, he says, it's not those. It's not who will say that or who will say this? Who would think that they can do? Verse 8 says this, but what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And he, what he's saying there is this. It's not about you going and doing in heaven. It's not you chasing after Christ into the heavens. It's not you going down to the depths uh, and chasing him into the depths because you can't do either. You can't do either. But this new message, this righteousness that does work is based on faith. It's based on, and this is what it says, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And we're going to come back to that in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, uh, word of faith, you might say, well, what is word of faith? What, what does that mean? Well, word of faith means this, that the message, the word, the message, the, the words that were spoken, the, the message that is there is based on faith. It's based on faith. And for us to understand that this was the message, the saving message of the gospel that was based on faith. If it's not based on faith, If it's based on works, it's not the right gospel. And I would say this, it's not the gospel that saves. It's based on something other than the message, uh, the word that Paul was proclaiming in the book of Romans. That's why we love the book of Romans in such an important way, because he's so clear about the gospel. And he says, this message, the faith that we place, you know, the where there's near in my mouth and in my heart, just mark that, mouth and heart. The things that we say and the things that are going on inside. He's going he's gonna to come back to that. But the, uh, what does it say? The word is near you, uh, like this message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And what Paul's saying is the message we proclaim is a message of faith. It's a message that you must trust and believe in. Which brings us to verse 9. Which brings us to verse 9. And I would just say this. Salvation. Justification that saves. 
And Paul's going to be as clear as clear can be about how it is that one attains salvation. And, and, And this is the question that many of us have. What must I do to be saved, right? Uh, it was the rich young ruler's question. It was others that have come on and come to talk to you. They say, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I, I want to tell you, for those of you who are wondering what to do, I'm going to get to it here in a moment. It's very clear. It's two steps. It's two steps. I, I want to tell you that um, uh, what I'm about to share with you, and most of you know what it is already, it, it's not a life hack, it's not a life hack. Uh, it's not five things you need to know. It, it, it's, it, I think we go to the internet and we, uh, we're so quick to, uh, you know, Google or, you know, I wish I didn't use that word in church. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, move on, Kevin. Um, I think so often we're, we're used to looking for some tip or trick to make your life easier. We're, we're looking for some simple thing that we do. You know, I, I got a problem. Uh, you know, my house isn't working right. I'm just going to go to Home Depot and I'll spend a bunch of money and it'll fix my problem. I won't have to worry about it anymore. It'll be a quick fix. You know, I got this ache, Doc, and if you could just give me a bottle of pills. And, you know, hopefully those pills work real quick, too. Like, I, I don't want to take them for a couple of weeks. Sorry, I didn't see you there, Will. Um, but uh, uh, the, the, that idea that, can I get something that works fast? I don't have to change, just give me a pill and I'm done. And as we look at this, I, I want to tell you, Uh, It's encompassing of your whole life. It's encompassing of your whole life. It's a simple two-step thing, but that it will encompass all that you are. In verse 9, it says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As I say the word saved, I want to tell you that um, this is something that Paul's concerned with. And I want to tell you, we should be concerned with it. He says this word save, salvation, saves, I think 15 or so times in the book of Romans. And I want, I want you to know that this is what you want to be. I, I think you know that. I, I don't think it's a, a confusing thing for you. But I, I think that the, the problem for us... And, you know, I was raised in the church that um, we, we want to know for sure. We want to know if there's a, you know, if you get a saved rash or something like that. You want to see it, right? You, you want to say, is there like a tattoo I get or something like that? You know, is there something that I can look to that can, I can remember that day? And I want to tell you that it is not just something, a point in time, is a point in time that has significant ramifications for your whole life every day after. And so he gives us this here, this simple verse, which he'll go on to explain uh, in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, um, and really both explain why and explain what happens to us. 
if we confess with our mouth, and and that's interesting, right? He he makes a, a makes a connection. You know, this isn't a written confession, by the way, right? It's not. It's a spoken confession. It's something that we say. It doesn't say who we say it to, by the way, either, right? It doesn't say if this is we confess to God or we confess to man. And I, I kind of believe it's both. I kind of believe it's both, that we tell him spoken word, spoken word, and then we tell others spoken word. We confess to them. This idea of confession is not making stuff up, right? Uh, it's not making stuff up. How, how many of you have felt the pressure to make stuff up before, right? Somebody's bearing down on you. They're asking you a tough question, and you're like, I better make up something good right now. But a confession, a confession, this idea is, is simply saying the truth. It's agreeing with the truth. It's the idea of saying, really, uh, to God's message, to God's message, the message of the gospel, I agree with that. I confess that that is true of me. But there's something specific, and, and I want to tell you that there's a lot of verbiage and things that are good and true that you can say about the gospel that encompasses this. But in this passage, it's super simple, down to the core. And what is it that we confess? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The man Jesus, New Testament man Jesus, born uh, as we are celebrating, that man who grew to, uh, that child who grew to be a man, lived a sinless life, was taken to the cross, uh, not on the basis of anything that he had done, and then in his death, died a miraculous death, into the grave, and then rose from the dead. That Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. That we would confess that that Jesus is Lord. And it seems pretty simple, right? Um, that, that he is the Lord. Now, um, I, I want you to, to hear something here. It's very important for us to say. So a lot of times, it sounds like that's just an acknowledgement of something that's true, whether I care about it or not. The sky is blue. The sky is blue. I have confessed the sky is blue. Um, it, you know, if, if people are talking about, the, you know, the greatest president of all time or the greatest leader of all time and you really don't care about it, you say, well, who do you think it is? I agree. I don't really care. Um, it's not just agreeing upon something that is true and saying it, saying so. It's that you're, you're acknowledging that that is true for you, but also for all. It's true, but it's also true for you. Jesus is Lord. What a, what a statement that Jesus is the King, the Lord over all. Jesus is Lord. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Oh, yes, it is. It is. You think about that. Uh, when you're saying Jesus is Lord, you're saying that nobody else is Lord. Just him. 
Just him. There, there aren't multiple lords. There are not uh, multiple gods, kings, people that you can serve. You're saying Jesus is Lord. You're, you can ask the question, well, who else would be Lord if Jesus wasn't Lord? How about the government? How about the government? I do and say whatever they want me to. Why? Because they're the, they're the Lord, Right? They're over me. What, what about, you know, not to bring up his name too much, but what about Satan himself? In the Old Testament, uh, Baal, or Baal, or however you pronounce it, I wasn't there. Um, is he the Lord? And I know that sounds crazy, even even to us here, that we would anyone would follow after Satan or follow after the Old Testament gods of Baal or anybody else. And it's happening today. You know, it was acknowledged in the last couple of weeks. I don't want to get into it, but uh, some of you know where I'm going with that. And it's not it's not just people who are living, you know, on the streets or you know back in the hills of Tehachapi or something like that, right? Hollywood folks. And, and, and they're acknowledging, and you say, well, who is Lord? You know, I'm following after Satan. I'm following after Baal. I know that sounds uncomfortable, but people are doing it even today. What, what about science itself, the thing that makes decisions of what I will do and won't do? I trust the science, Right, I follow after science. Follow my uh, my high school book or my college book or the latest stuff that's been you know studies have shown studies have shown studies have shown all kinds of things and studies have been paid for by the way, um, and studies have been done by people who are trying to prove things right. Um, it's not science. It's not money. And you say, well, how does money become Lord? I want to tell you. It's real simple. People do this all the time. They say, I'm going to do this. Why are you going to do that? I'll make the most money. Or I can make more money. Or the money was too good, right? I wouldn't have done that, but the money was there. And I felt weird about doing it, but the money was good. I want to tell you, that's making money the Lord. Just to round it out, it's not Jesus is the Lord. It's not a coach. It's not a boss. It's not my friends. It's not my family. It's not even my spouse. And this is probably the granddaddy of them all. You say, well, what else could there be? It's not myself. Not myself. I am not the Lord of my life. The confession that Paul, under the inspiration of God, so God calls us to make, the confession that he calls us to make is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I want to tell you, uh, you, you can't disconnect the two, but it doesn't say, make the confession, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Okay? 
Some of you are gasping right now inside because I made that distinction. We'll get there, okay? Um, That's the first thing, a confession of your mouth. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. Um, We say things we don't mean all the time. We say things we don't mean all the time. And, And for those of you, some of us have a seared conscience and we're like, oh, I'll say that, you know. Who do you want me to say it to? Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Got it. Done. <laughs> there it is. Uh, I want to tell you that uh, he kind of does it backwards, but then he's going to do it the, the, uh, uh, in different order as he uh, um, describes it or as he instructs us why. But first he says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And then the second thing he says, believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. And I want to tell you, confessing is outward, right? Outward. People can hear it. People can, you know, it's something that you do outwardly. Believe in your heart is something inward. Something inward. It's something from your inner man, your inner person. And and what is that? Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's interesting to me that he just talks about being risen from the dead. And I started thinking uh, about why. Um, He could have, uh, you know, talked about Jesus and he could have said that you believe that he was born of a virgin birth. You got to believe that. And you got to believe that he uh, fulfilled all those prophecies that we're going to talk about. And you and you got to believe that he lived a sinless life, and then you got to believe that he died on the cross, and then you got to believe that he was buried. He was buried, but he only says this one thing: you got to believe that he rose again. He rose again. You know why? Because all those other things led up to that point. They all encompassed. They they were kind of culminated. In the victory over sin, the victory over death of the resurrection. And and I want to tell you, it doesn't say you need to understand how Jesus rose from the dead. It doesn't say that. It says that you need to believe that it happened. It happened. And, And believing that it happened means this, that you believe all that who Christ was and the culmination of the victory over sin in the resurrection. You believe that, that he was God, and that the Father worked in the Son to, uh, bring about the resurrection. He brings these two things, and one is an inward thing that we would believe. And by the way, by the way, if you believe something on the inside, it will come out. Uh, through your mouth. It will come out. Uh, even for you shy folks, right? Eventually it'll come out. And so this idea that these two are connected, we, I said two things, but it's really just one, believe in your heart, and that it expresses itself through confession that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts, in our inner man, that God raised him from the dead his death, burial, resurrection, his life being that perfect sacrifice. And that idea that including that he was God in the flesh, that that proved it, that made him special and different. 
As we confess, as we believe, what's the end result? And is saved. And is saved. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're, you're, uh, all the things that you've done uh, are, are wiped clean. It's not that you didn't do them. It's not that the, there will be people. It's funny about sin, especially if you have family members. They keep following you around. And, and you say, you know, I've been changed. I'm righteous. And they go, I remember that day. Remember that day? Remember what you said to me? Remember how you acted? I got pictures even. I got pictures. But the reason that you know that you're saved is not because those pictures don't exist or those things are gone. Because you have confessed with your mouth. You believed in your heart. You have trusted in Jesus. That's what it is to be saved. Paul goes on to describe after he brings us this clear, clear verse. In verse 10, he says this. For with the heart, now he, he flip-flops it, right? Maybe in a more logical progression. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Uh, do you get that? It's interesting. We've, if you've been following our study, he brings up that word justification. You know, he brings up that word that, that we know is a word connected with righteousness. It's the making of one righteous when they are not. For with the heart and the inner man, one believes. Once you believe, you are justified. And as you confess, you're saved. Uh, the, like I said, these probably aren't two events as much as they are the whole salvation of man as they are connected together. I love it. I hope that this is encouraging to you. And as you look at this, verse 9 ends in that you're saved. Verse 10 ends that you're saved. Um, verse 11 says, for uh, Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame and, and, and this idea, if you, once again, with our study, uh, if you look at this idea of being put to shame, what, why would you be put to shame? Why? Well, because of the guilt of your sin, right? Because you're guilty, because there, there's this idea of being caught or being guilty or having to, uh, the punishment be paid. And he says, no, anyone who trusts in Christ. Anyone who follows after him will not be put to shame. Uh, some of you have these verses ringing in your head and you realize that uh, chapter 9 ends with that too, that same quote from Isaiah, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the point and this is for us um, what many of us try to compensate with that other junk, right? We say, well, you know, I, I pay my taxes, I work hard, I'm smart, I'm kind to my neighbor, and so I'm a good person, I'm a good person. That other stuff doesn't matter. And I, I want to tell you, it may not matter to your neighbor, but it matters to God. But he says this, I have a way of salvation for you, that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, you won't be put to shame. You won't, there, there is no day that they can come and get you, right? There's no reckoning or justice that needs to happen. Believing justification, confessing salvation, the inward and the outward 
The results, not be put to shame. Not be put to shame. The, the sin that brings guilt that results in shame will not be for you. In verse 12, it says this, for there is no distinction. One of uh, Paul's great ideas that he keeps bringing up, and it was very important for an eclectic church of Ro- in Rome that would have people from all different uh, places and thoughts, and the Jews were there, and everybody else uh, from neighboring cities and towns, and Greeks of different uh, varying degrees, and, and he would say to them over and over again, he wanted them to know about salvation, and he says things like this. This is a reiteration of what he has said before. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. And this is what you, we need to understand. Like sometimes we think that uh, Jesus is Lord of the country. When you say the country, we're talking about people who have chickens and stuff like that, right? That, you know, the idea of Jesus being the Lord over San Francisco, over L.A., New York, Hong Kong. Amsterdam. You know, you think of these great cities, Mexico City. We think of, you say, well, maybe, maybe there's just a faith for me and I do it this way and everybody else has their own deal. Everyone kind of, you know, I'm not to judge. I want to tell you the gospel, the gospel, the Bible, the one gospel we're following is exclusive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he is Lord over all. He is Lord over all. He is the only Lord uh, for a Jew or a Greek, for you or for me. For the same Lord is Lord over all. And it says this, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Now, uh, I I just want to bring this out, that um, if you're not part of the family of God by adoption, right, by adoption, by being brought in as you come to faith, those riches aren't for you. This isn't universal salvation, the idea that, that uh, Christ saves all apart from their belief. It's not true. You know who has to believe in Jesus Christ? A Jew and a Gentile and someone from Tehachapi and someone from L.A., and someone from Saudi Arabia, like wherever, right? This is what it is. Because why? The creator created one way. It was his son, Jesus, right? And as he comes, as he comes, he presents this message, this message of faith. One way to be saved, and it's through Jesus. Through confessing and believing in your heart. One last verse that I want to look at in the next uh, next year, next year, we'll talk about verse 14 and the rest of the chapters, Lord willing. The last verse, verse 13, says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think that's important for us to remember. Uh, there's some people we find so wicked that we think in, in, in our minds, I'm glad, I'm glad they're going to experience judgment. Or maybe for you here today, you've done something so wicked in your mind. And I want to tell you that 
Fair Valley Church has been full of wicked people since I got here, right? Uh, don't be so proud of your own sin that you think that you're worse than anybody else here. You're not. Uh, um, but, but it says this, that if you'd call on the name of the Lord, you'd be saved, right? It, there's not like this thing where God says, I'm only taking the pretty people today. I'm only taking the young people today. I'm only taking the older people today. I'm only taking this nationality or that nationality. And it's too complicated. Like we've already gone over election and chapter nine, and it's too complicated. I must not be elect. And I want to say, set all that aside. Your, your man-type thinking, set it all aside. And, and, and focus in on that last verse that I read. Whoever will call, whoever who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You do business with God. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the clear message of the gospel. God, I pray that it would... uh, It would be cemented in our hearts. It would be the bedrock of our whole lives. That we would not have to trust in those other things and those things that can't be trusted or aren't trustworthy. That we can cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.